Well, good morning, and I uh, should say I bring you greetings from Hope Bible Fellowship, where Logan is at this morning. I, uh, I dismiss Kingdom Kids, but they look oh. like they're going pretty well. So Kingdom's Kids can be dismissed right now, Thank you. or Kingdom Kids. I think I, I think I pulled a pulled an Aldi there and added an S that wasn't there. So why do we do that? Why do we add S's to words? Walmarts. That's the one that bugs me the most. Walmarts. There's no S anyway. I don't know. That's a Midwest thing or whatnot. Well, good morning. It is, it is a joy to be with you. As I said, I bring you greetings from Hope Bible Fellowship where Logan is. Uh, our service starts at 930 in the morning. So I told Logan, you're going to have to leave a little earlier to get there. And he said, no, no, I'm usually there by eight. So we're, we're good. So um, I just wanted to say a, a word. I'm going to compliment you and then compliment Bruce as well, just like he did with me. And then we'll just have a mutual admiration society here. But um, uh, we're so thankful for your church, uh, for your elders and for your pastors. Um, one of the very first invites I got from anyone when we arrived back in the Dixon area was Bruce actually inviting me to be a part of the ministerial group of the, the district EFCA guys that are in the area. And uh, that's how I met uh, Logan as well, because I had not known him previously. And it was just, um, you have a very special couple of men uh, leading your congregation. And um, they love you deeply, and um, they've been a great encouragement in my life as well. And so I also want to say thank you for your church, including me. Um, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but for the last couple of years, you guys have let me tag along and uh, on the pastor's conference up in Minnesota, and it's been a blessing and a joy. It's great to hang out with people from the churches, and this past year, from uh, folks from Christ Church, it's just been, um, I, don't, I don't know if you know this or not. Oh, look, he's stepping away from his notes. We're, we're going to get longer. Uh, pastors don't have a real easy time, and I'm looking right at you, Bruce. Pastors don't have a real easy time making friends. I don't know if you know that or not about pastors, but sometimes friendship can be very hard uh, for pastors, and so I really just appreciate Bruce and Logan and their um, just the, their friendship in my life. Before I do get to the bulk of the message, and, and I would rather get there than talk about myself, but um, Bruce asked me to share a little bit about our church. So we moved back to the Dixon area. We previously lived over in Ashton um, and before taking a church in East Peoria, but we moved in August of 2020. We moved on August 1st, and my first sermon at Hope was August 2nd of 2020. Now, I don't recommend moving in the middle of a global pandemic, but it worked out for us so far. Uh, Hope Bible Fellowship was planted about 14 years ago as a non-denominational but Baptistic church, and at one point they had grown to uh, over 100 people who were meeting in our current location at Brenton Avenue. Uh, in early 2019, their planting pastor resigned, and that began a year-and-a-half-long process of pastoral search. And during that time, the church experienced a lot of internal trauma, loss of membership and attendance, loss of staff, and of course, COVID-19, which happened right in the middle of all of that. There was a core group that remained of about 30 or 35 people that began to rebuild the structure and the ministry of the church as they searched for a new shepherd. And the Lord was faithful. And that's all I can say to everything Bruce has said, whether it be about hope and the work there or the fact that I'm still in ministry after all these years, is that the Lord God is faithful. 
He was faithful, made a way for us to move back to the area, which we always have felt like was home, and to really do a replant at Hope. Over the course of the last two and a half years, we've adopted a new constitution, which was a unanimous vote, by the way. I'm very proud of that, that, that deal. Uh, we adopted a new constitution. Uh, we're in the process of formally becoming part of the free church movement. Uh, we've seen visitors join us and become members. We've started small group ministry just recently here, uh, children's ministry, and uh, we just would welcome your prayers as we continue to move through um, this truly challenging time of ministry. But uh, it's such a joy, and I want you to know that we pray for you often. I was once challenged because I heard a pastor talk about how their church always prayed for other churches in their worship service. And, and he said it was because he heard a quote one time, and he said, if you pray for revival for 20 years and it comes to the church down the street, are you still excited? And it was really convicting for me, right? Because we tend to be a little territorial, right? <laughs> and uh, so uh, every Sunday we pray for two churches in our service, and you all are often one of those churches on that list. So just know that we are also praying for you. But let me get into what I really want to talk about today, which is Jesus. But let me ask a question about your life. Have you ever done something because you genuinely believed it was what God wanted you to do in a certain situation, but things didn't work out the way that you thought they were going to end up working out? Have you ever faced something that was frightening or seemingly overwhelming as you followed Jesus? I certainly have. And we see that happen in our passage today. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 35 through 41. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to watch the disciples get into a situation that seems scary, seems overwhelming. But in the midst of it, we're going to see three in particular things. One is we're going to see Jesus' divinity and his humanity displayed. We're going to see God's sovereignty in our circumstances and finally, we're going to see a Savior who can be trusted. But as we get into that, let's read from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there, were, there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand and apply it to our lives. Lord God, as we come to your word, we just ask for your help. Help us understand in our hearts and help us apply it to our lives, God, that when we leave those doors and we go back out into the world and we get smacked in the face by Monday morning, that our lives would have been changed because we spent time in your word with your people. Oh, God, I, I just pray you would 
use me in this time, but I pray I would decrease and you would increase. Because this time is not about me, and it's not about Bruce or the musicians or the great food downstairs. It's about you, and it's for you and for your glory, and I pray that you would be glorified and magnified and lifted high during this time. Help the responses of our heart be be obedience, which is the only thing that, that, (laughs) it's the only appropriate response we can have, Jesus. Help us have faith, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. This passage, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this passage is one of the most misapplied passages in the entire Bible. Now, just a spoiler alert, I say that about a lot of passages when I preach on them, when I realize that it's one of the most misapplied passages. The thing is, a lot of the Bibles gets misapplied, right? I want to be sure that we're correctly handling the Word of God. That's important to me. And this passage is not really about Jesus calming the storms in our life. This passage ultimately is about the fact that Jesus is God, and therefore he has the authority and is able to save. See, this passage is not about you and me in particular. We are far too quick to try and put ourselves in the story to make ourselves the hero of the stories in the Bible. But the Bible's not about you. Ultimately, it's about God. Yes, there are things we learn about ourselves in the Bible. There are things the Bible says about us. But it's about God. And so we have to take the text as the text and not add any of our preconceived notions to it. And I remember how important saying that was. The last time I preached this passage was at a youth camp this past summer that I was asked to be the speaker at. And I, because we live in such an a, a internet, TikTok, 30-minute video culture. Kids will watch videos of things, and it'll real quickly uh, tell them this thing, and then I'm like, oh, okay, that's totally out of context and not right, and this kid is sharing and reposting, and oh, that's how I'm going to live my life. I think it was important that we take them back to that. So what's going on here? What's going on in this passage? If, if it's not uh, as simple as, oh, Jesus calms the storms in my life. Well, Jesus had been teaching. Sure seems like he's tired. He goes to sleep. It was evening, so he tells the disciples to go across to the other side with him. They get in the boat, and it points out there are other boats with them, um, which I think is funny because you don't really hear about those boats anymore, so I'm not real sure what happens in that thing, but there were other boats with him. I just never picture it. It's always the one boat when I picture it in my mind, but obviously there were other boats there. So they get out into the water. This great windstorm arises. Now, these windstorms for the Sea of Galilee are pretty typical. They're not abnormal. It was surrounded by mountains, so wind would drop down into it, and it would just circulate violently, creating this this big windstorm. Now, remember, these guys in this boat are experienced fishermen who were used to being out on the water. But this storm comes up. It must have been pretty bad because they're terrified. The waves are breaking into the boat. It's starting to fill with water. And at this point, we see our first standout point here. So if you're taking notes, this would be a great place to write point number one. And that's we see both Jesus' divinity and humanity on display. We see Jesus' divinity and his humanity on display. They go to Jesus, who, as I said, is asleep during a storm. Now, I've been told I sleep very soundly. I may have shared a hotel room with some people in the room right now who could confirm that, but we're not going to have them do that right now. 
I've been told I sleep very soundly. I may have at one point slept through a small hurricane when I was on the East Coast, but that's a whole other story. So Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the stern of a boat, which is where the rudder is located. It's where the person who steers the boat would have likely been sitting. He'd been teaching. He was tired. But he wasn't worried. He was actually resting. This is a little aside, but my good friend Jim Reynolds, uh, years ago, he said something, and it stuck with me. And he said, sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. When you're so sure of your heavenly Father, you're so trusting of your heavenly Father, sure of His plan, that you can sleep soundly when the world around you is flailing about. That's amazing. So here we have Jesus asleep. They wake Him up. They accuse Him of not caring that they're going to die, which in and of itself is Wow, that's kind of a slap in the face when we think about who Jesus is. This man who was teaching them, who they'd left everything to follow, this man who would ultimately give his life on the cross in their place as payment for them, for their sins. And here, before that, they're doubting that he even cares about them, that they're dying in this storm. So he wakes up, he rebukes the wind and tells the sea, peace, be still. And those are exclamation marks. I should have yelled that, but I don't want to scare you, okay? And then everything was calm. And he asked them why they're so afraid. And then he says something to them that must have just stung, or maybe it just stings me when I read it. Have you still no faith? Then the text tells us that they were filled with great fear. Literally what that says is they feared a great fear. They feared a great fear. They were in awe of the one who could still the wind and the waves. See, all the good little Jewish boys of that day knew that there was exactly one person who had control over the wind and the waves, one person who had authority over nature, and that's written about in Psalm 107, specifically in verses 23 through 32 where the psalmist writes, "'Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters.'" They saw the deeps of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. God has authority over nature because he is the creator of said nature. Jesus has authority over nature because he is God. Now imagine... You're sitting in that boat, and you know, because you've been taught it all your life, that only one person, the Lord God, can control the wind and the waves. You, possibly you know this psalm, and you're sitting in that boat, and there's a guy in the boat who wakes up from a nap and does exactly the thing that you know that only God can do. 
They feared a great fear. So we see Jesus' divinity on display. It reminds me of a story I heard about a missionary over in Africa, uh, or some third world country. I think it was Africa. He told this story to the people in a more primitive culture. And he tells them the story about Jesus calming the storm. Now, we've Americanized it. I mentioned this earlier and made it kind of about us. We tend to hear a more devotional explanation, kind of a a me-centered explanation of this story. But the people in this other country were not struck by that. There was no talk of, oh, Jesus calms the storm on my life or Jesus goes through the storms of life with me. That wasn't what they said. Their comment was this. They heard this story and they said, oh, he must have been a very powerful man. See, they got it. The point was Jesus and his power and authority because he is God. His divinity was on display. We also saw his humanity on display though, right? He was tired. He went to sleep. We see throughout the gospel accounts that Jesus got tired. He got hungry. He was angry. He cried and he died. The Christian church has always believed, the Orthodox Christian Church, has always believed that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, the perfect God-man. And the only qualification that's ever put on his humanity is that he did not sin. He never sinned, lived a perfect life that none of us could possibly live, which meant he could be the perfect sacrifice for all of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Hebrews 4.15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus, fully God, fully man, He must have been exhausted from all the teaching and from being around the crowds. And if you're you're an introvert, you know about being around crowds wearing you out. I'm a bit of an extrovert, and so crowds more give me energy. But eventually, I've had enough, and it's time to go be myself in a room, or be by myself in a room, and be myself also, I guess, but be by myself in a room really glad that all this gets recorded and I can hear all of my flubs. It's, it's a good time. I mean, I'm used to it by now. But So he must have been exhausted. He's sound asleep in the stern of the boat right through the storm. One commentator notes that this is the only time in the Gospels when we read about Jesus sleeping. But that did not change the fact that he was still God and still in authority over every drop of the water that was carrying them to the other shore. He could rest with complete trust in the care of his heavenly Father. Jesus knew there was still work for him to do, so he rested to be energized for the work ahead of him. So we see Jesus' humanity, and we see his divinity on full display. But now we need to look at the storm itself and what we see there. And if you're taking notes, this is your point number two. We see God's sovereignty in our circumstances. So many times in our lives, we encounter circumstances that surprise us or aren't what we expected. Anybody had that happen recently? Anything in your life that you didn't expect and it just, boom, happened? Yeah, hello, I'll raise my hand. And 
Yeah, and it's always dangerous to ask questions when you're preaching, too. I don't know if you know that, but it's always, because you never know. Sometimes people are like, they start yelling out. In my church, people yell out stuff at you, but we have a smaller room. I can hear everything that goes on, but anyway. Often, as I asked earlier, we're doing something that God commanded us in Scripture. Like we, we see what God has told us to do, how we're supposed to live our life, and we live it out, and it doesn't end up going the way that we planned, the way that we planned it to go. The thing we must understand is that God works through our circumstances. Not only do they come, not come as a surprise to him, but further, and I want you to catch this, he wants us to go through them as a means of helping us trust him more. He brings events into our lives to mold us, to shape us on that sanctification uh, you know, growth curve. Think about this passage of Scripture. Jesus told them to cross to the other side. I remember when I, I realized that. Jesus told them to go to the other side. Jesus led them straight into that storm. He knew it was coming and led them right into it. He wanted them in the middle of the wind and the waves. In fact, you go back and read Psalm 107, it lets us know that he calls up storms. So Jesus had them right where God wanted them, in the middle of the storm. He had a purpose in it. He was about to show them more about himself Many times in our lives, we find ourselves in the middle of a storm, and our only desire, maybe it's just me, but our only desire is to kick and scream and get out of the storm as fast as possible. But God purposes to shape us in that storm and to teach us more about Himself. Jesus had further work to do, so He's resting. And there were three reasons that I can count, probably there are more. But three reasons that I can count why the disciples should have not been disturbed by the storm. Number one, they'd been commanded by Jesus to go to the other side. He says, come, let's, let's go to the other side. If they were all going to die out there, I feel like he wouldn't have said, let's go to the other side. They had that Jesus wanted to go to the other side, but there was so much they still didn't know about him. The second reason they should not have been disturbed by the storm, the Lord himself was with them. Again, they did not yet understand that he was master of every situation. And they could see, third, that Jesus was at perfect peace. They'd been following him around, they'd heard his teaching, they'd seen the things he'd done, and he was back there at perfect peace. And so, Seeing those things about Jesus should have caused them to not be disturbed by this storm. But instead, what was their reaction? Don't you care that we're dying, Jesus? Don't you care that we're perishing? As a side note, this is the first time Jesus is addressed as teacher. And Mark emphasizes Jesus as an authoritative teacher. But the disciples mistook Jesus' trust in God for apathy. Jesus understood who he was. He knew, he knew his heavenly Father had things in control, and he could sleep, rest. Of course, because he was God. 
And the disciples looked at Jesus trusting in his heavenly Father, asleep, confident in the mission that he was on, and the disciples mistook that for apathy, for him not caring that they were perishing. Their fear, oddly, is not mentioned until after the storm has been calmed. See, it was exam time. They'd been listening to what Jesus had been teaching, and it was time to find out what their response to seeing his divinity and divine power on display was going to be. So when we see that, we see what their response is. And the question I think that we have to, as I'm reading through scripture, I ask myself little questions in my heart and my head. What would my response be to that? When I see that played out in my life, what, what is my response to it? To a test of our faith. Uh, Warren Wiersbe wrote this, faith must, be, must always be tested. It's not, near, near, excuse me, it's not enough to merely learn a lesson or repeat a teaching. We must be able to practice that lesson by faith. Now, this testing was not so that God could see something about them that he didn't know, okay? It wasn't like Jesus or God the Father. It wasn't like there was something they didn't know about these guys and how they were going to respond. So this test of their faith, which he calls them out as having little faith, it wasn't so that he could see something about them, but so that they could see Jesus as divine, as the God whom he claimed to be and who can be trusted. And that brings us to our third main point here, that we see a Savior who can be trusted. The activity of the disciples and their accusation about Jesus possibly not caring about their lives being at stake showed that they didn't have faith in Jesus, at least not in Jesus as God. And he knew that, but now they knew it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Where you're like, oh, I trust Jesus. I trust the Lord. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to follow Jesus. Everything's good. And we get kind of, uh, you know, like that feeling right after you come back from like a retreat or a conference or a camp or something. You've had all these great time where all you've had to do for three days is just focus on the Lord. And then you go back to work on a Monday morning and, you know, real life hits you in the face. And we think, I'm going to follow Jesus. I, I, I love Jesus. I trust Jesus. And then, and then something happens, and it's that question of like, hmm, do I trust him enough to obey what he said in this situation that just I just walked into on Monday morning? See, Jesus knew where they were with their faith, but now they knew it. They were panicking about their lives. And if there's one thing that I want you to remember, to, well, there's a lot I would love for you to remember today. But this is sort of when I thought about, like, what's the key point? Because when I look at Scripture, um, I sort of like to be confronted by Scripture because sometimes I'm a little dense and sometimes I need it to just kind of put it out there in my face. And the question that, that, or the statement that I kind of got from this is this. When we lose faith in the one we should trust, the result is panic. So I think of all the times in my life where I've panicked, and it was because 
did I really trust that God had my best, uh, my best ending at heart? Did I really trust that God meant the things he said in the scripture about what he wants for us? Did I really trust him enough to live in the way that he says, people who follow me, now it is by grace through faith, okay, only by Jesus' death on the cross can we be saved. And he rose again. But as people who've trusted him, there's a certain way that he wants us to live our lives. It's grace-fueled, yes. But there's a certain way he wants us to live our lives. And so uh, sometimes things happen and we panic. We experience a fear and anxiety. And I can trace that back in my life and realize, just like these disciples, I'm panicking because I didn't trust the one that I should have had faith in. The greatest danger facing the disciples was not the storm. The greatest danger that they faced was unbelief in their hearts. And this miracle, and this is a miracle, this miracle validates everything that Jesus had spoken about in his previous teachings. And it was the first, if you look at the context of this, this is the first of four miracles that demonstrate his lordship. And the disciples were filled with great fear. They were in awe of the power that Jesus displayed. It was a validation of everything that they'd heard. And Mark is likely intending to indicate to us that faith is more than learning or intellectual assent, but faith is trust in a specific person, which is Jesus, the Christ of God. So the question that I think we have to bat around in our hearts this morning is, do we really trust Jesus? Have we truly believed the gospel that he is who he says he is, that he did on the cross, what he said he did. We celebrated it this morning in communion, which I so appreciated being a part of. Have we truly trusted Jesus? When God leads us through a storm, it often becomes evident where our faith stands. Even those of us who followed Jesus for many years, sometimes we go through really easy periods of life, right? Everything's fine. And we're like, ah, man, this following Jesus stuff is awesome. And then something happens, and we're, sh- we're shaken. We're shaken. Imagine you're in that boat. You've just witnessed this amazing display of authority, of power. And now some time passes. You keep following around this guy. You see some amazing things. And the very Son of God, their authoritative teacher, their compassionate leader would lay down his life for them, even though he had the very power of God available to them. So Jesus is dying on the cross, and they know, they've seen that he has the very power of God available to to him. Yet this man would endure the pain, the humiliation, and the death of crucifixion as a substitute for them because of their sin and as a substitute for you and for me because of our sin. Now imagine you're there with them again. You've been in the boat. You've been with them the whole time. And three days after the crucifixion, you hear reports that the tomb where they had laid his lifeless body is now empty, and there are reports that he's risen from the dead. They could 
and we can have a faith in Jesus that perseveres because we know that one. We know the one that not only calms the storms, but commands their very existence and proved all of that by walking out of a grave. That God accepted that sacrifice, that it, 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 it worked. It was sufficient once and for all. And so there's no reason for us to panic anymore. Because we can trust him. Even if that thing that we're going through kills us, we can still trust him and not panic because we know eternity is secure because of the cross. Now I know a lot of pastors would probably go the route of simplifying this message down and saying that, you know, Jesus calms the storms in our life. I said that earlier. Jesus is with you in the storms of life. That is true. That's not untrue, okay? That's nice, but it's bigger than that. We have to get away from thinking that everything in life is about us. We can't live a me-centered life for Jesus. Our lives must be centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that changes us. And he sends us out into the storm knowing that he's always in control of every situation. He wants us to trust him in these very troubling circumstances. And he's not worried or afraid because he knows who holds the power. And we should too. When we trust in him, in his sovereignty, his total authority and control, we experience a much deeper resolve, a deeper relationship and trust. He's in complete control and reigns supreme, so I can obediently walk any path he lays before me, even one that leads through suffering. Yes, he is with his people. Yes, he can calm the storm. But there's an old song it was by a guy named Scott Crepane. Probably nobody in here remembers him. He was a CCM guy in the, the mid-90s. And the song said, sometimes he calms the storm and sometimes he calms his child. We can have complete confidence in his authority and control in all of life to trust and not fear, to not worry. So the question this morning is, where's, where's our faith? Where is your faith? Just kind of walk through three people that may be sitting here. First person, I want to ask, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation? There may be somebody sitting in here who's never made that trip from life to death by trusting in Je or from death to life by trusting in Jesus. Have you trusted that he died willingly on the cross in your place as a perfect sacrifice to atone for your sin? Have you believed that he rose from the grave and have you repented of your sin and trusted in him alone for salvation? If that's you and you say, Pastor, I've, I've not done that, then I would invite you to do that this morning. If you still are like, I don't know all about this, then I want to invite you to find Pastor Bruce or one of the elders, the guys who are up here serving Lord's Supper after the service, and ask them. Ask them to tell you more about Jesus. Second person, maybe you've been toying around with serving Christ in a deeper way, Maybe you, you, you believe that you ought to be doing more serving at church in some ministry, um, something that you need to be doing. Maybe it's that, that you've got somebody at work and you just feel like, man, I really need to tell them about Jesus. Have you been toying around with serving Christ in a deeper way, but you're scared? 
maybe now is the time you need to trust who he is and obey what he is moving you to do. And third, are you someone who has a storm swirling around you right now? I've lived through this many times, many storms, as Bruce alluded to. It's a long story, which is why I didn't tell the whole thing. Um, Jesus is in that storm, and he wants you to trust him. But this time, he's not asleep. He's leading you, guiding you, and teaching you more about him in that storm. That doesn't mean that it's not painful or scary. I want to encourage you to reach out to your brothers and sisters in this church family as you're going through these storms and ask them to pray for you. We, we heard you guys. You guys prayed and love each other. You prayed this morning for your sisters going through things, for your brother going through things. I'm just crazy enough to believe that brothers and sisters who know Jesus in a church want to serve each other in that way. So I want to encourage you not to panic as you walk through storms, but to trust God and to walk faithfully through whatever it is because he is worth it. And, and just a caveat because I don't want you to hear something I'm not saying. If you go through, you're going through something and you're concerned, maybe you're panicked, um, I have some good news for you. We're all sinners. And so um, it is possible that someone might hear this message and think, well, I'm going through this thing and I feel really terrible and wow, that pastor thinks I'm a terrible Christian. No, that, that is not what I mean for you to hear. What I mean for you to hear is there is a Savior who can be trusted with whatever it is we're going through. And there's not one of us sitting in this room who does this perfectly. There's not one of us in this room who always responds rightly to all of the storms in our life. But that's why there's a cross. Because for all of our sin, whatever it is, whether it be our unbelief or our panic when we shouldn't panic or whatever it be, he died for that too. And so the the idea is not to beat ourselves up and run away from him thinking, wow, we're just, we're terrible Christians. The idea is to run towards him. I saw a very simple thing, uh, I don't know, a while ago, and it said the difference in religion and Christianity is um, religion says, I messed up, I better not let dad find out. Christianity says, I messed up, I better go tell dad. So I just want to leave you with that. We've heard the truth this morning, now is the time when we respond in our hearts to the Lord's calling. So I'm just going to ask you, how do you need to respond to him today? Whenever we're presented with the word and the truth of the word, we will respond in some way. I tell my church this all the time. We'll either respond with trust and, and obedience of what was said, or we will walk out ambivalent, which is to say to reject what, what we've heard. And so uh, some of you, are life's going great, and it's just yes and amen, Pastor, I believe it. But some of you are walking through some hard things, and I hope this is an encouragement that God is with you in those hard things, and you can trust him. Would you guys stand with me so we could pray, if that would be okay? I don't know if that's the uh, normal way here, but I'm the one with the microphone. So... <laughs>
It's been such a joy to be with you this morning. You guys are a true blessing to me and my family and our church. Let's pray.